church. Huh. What is it good for? Actually, quite a bit. Yeah, no one else is participating not the in words. that. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Christ in the Chaos, where a pastor's kid and a kids ministry director talk about raising a Christ-centered family. We're not sure we know what we're doing, but we are right in the thick of it. And this is how we're finding Christ in the Chaos. Hello and welcome to Christ in the Chaos. I am Kathleen and I am here with my husband, dun da 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 Joel. And today we are talking about church culture, some of the good, but mostly the things that we want to protect our kids from and the things that are bad about church culture or potentially dangerous or destructive about church culture. Before we get to that, Joel, family check-in, go. <laughs> hey, right Kathleen, now, yeah. how are you doing? Oh, how I just asked you how you were doing. You can't no, you ask. You said family check-in go, and I started the family check-in. I am doing fine. Um, Levi was a real T-U-R-D today. Yeah, you can't say you're doing fine when I came home and you were like on the couch. He cried for like a straight hour and a half, and he's a three-year-old, so he's way too old for that kind of nonsense. Um, <laughs> nonsense I, is not the word you used when I got home, but yes. I am feeling um, better about where I am at work. Um, I have a plan. We're going to my brother's wedding. In Memorial Day weekend, I'm very excited. Yeah. Um, And we're leaving beforehand, and I have a lot of work to get done, but I know what I need to get done, and I'm going to get it done, and I'm not going to stress about it. And I haven't been a terrible parent. Um, So win-win. I'm not stressed about it, but I have been a terrible parent, so... (laughs) kind of a wash there oh you're good. i'm doing fine you swung you did the swing today you did levi on the swing i don't like to push the swing you did that and i just was like Whew, good i don't have to do that today i love pushing him on the swing you just stand there and yeah no <laughs> you had me at stand um not in, and being outside not interested yeah it is it is definitely pollen season so Ugh. i apologize to everyone listening if i don't edit out all the coughs and snorts and sneezes and just the fact that our voices sound terrible also fun we're doing our best um it is California is a wonderful place to live for those of you who are in California, but pollen season is year-round. Yep. Well, May is the worst. You ready to get to our topic? Yeah, I'm ready for our topic because I'm. we are here today with our... Special guest star. We should probably... Can we edit in real drums? No. Okay. I'm, I'm not worth the real drums. <laughs> Maybe for a different guest. Today we have our... Our church's former youth pastor. That is not how I would introduce him. I was going to start chronologically. I would have said, Our today we have personal friend, the pastor from the Village Church in Sacramento. It's just True. Village Church. It's just oh, they dropped the village. The. There's no the, right? I'm correct. It is Village Church, not the Village Church. So welcome, True. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I thought Kathleen was, when she said, when she was introducing me, she paused. Like, I thought she was trying to decide if she was going to say friend or not. <laughs> And I was like, wow, okay. I thought um, we were at a different... I was putting the order in my mind because Joel's enough. right. I was worried. Fair enough. He is currently the pastor of Village Church in Folsom, California. That's how I would have introduced him. There we go. Good yeah. job, Joel. And he's going to join us today as we talk about all the bad habits <laughs> so his parishioners he, have. Do you want to name names? That's or? A, that's Absolutely. A, a yeah, church planter him. who is here to talk about what he doesn't like about church. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for this great hey, topic idea. Is your church, my question is, is your church still small enough 
that the people you talk about will know exactly who was being <laughs> talked about? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I feel like we have enough people that they won't know specifically that when I talk about them, I'm necessarily talking about them. Fair enough. I wanted to also thank you guys for offering me something to drink. I know this caffeine has a tea. Joel has a cup oh, you know full why of a you liquid get of some kind. Because you, on a regular basis, make fun of me for drinking tea during this podcast. So I just didn't want you to have the same slurping noises well, associated with fair. you. This is all getting well, done. Don't we, worry about it. No, you will so. not edit this out. I'm gonna, we do need to get to the topic, but I will say one of my favorite things that I like to do is listen to your podcast because I actually am a fan. We, my wife and I both listen to do it regularly. And uh, I like to live text well not live recording but when i'm listening i you get like 25 30 texts in a row of me <laughs> disagreeing with something joel said or you said or loving something i'm like that was awesome i loved it what were you thinking it's and i'm sure that's got to be annoying to you guys no, at this point it's in time one of my favorite like, parts of the podcast is this is a conversation we're having with our our listeners oh, thank you for not blocking my number yeah there you not go yet. <laughs> We are talking about being a part of a church. Um, we are all parts of churches, and we all think that being a part of a church is important for a lot of reasons. Before we get to what some of the good things are, some of the biblical good reasons um, to be a part of a church, um, being a church is a place where you people who are Christians can encourage each other. Um, I think I've already brought this particular scripture up like 50 times since we started doing this one, but let's do it again from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. But there's also Colossians 3:16, and I read it as enhancing the meaning of what we're doing. Um, so it's let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I just like the idea of letting the word of Christ dwell among people. It's festering is not the right word, but that's the general idea. It's like bubbling among people. Yeah. I mean, you, you, when you hang out among sports fans of a particular team, you end up talking about that team and getting excited about it. When you hang out among the people of Christ, that's the thing you have in common. So you end up talking about Christ. You end up doing Christ things and that, you get excited about it. You get kind of that feedback loop. But I, yeah, feedback loop. I get. It's just like it, it bubbles around you, and that bubbling is part of of it's the life that it has of its own. If that makes sense. Yeah, like a feedback loop. Yes, I don't really know what a feedback loop is. Then there's the the scripture about kind of playing your part in the kingdom from Ephesians four, where they're like, there are pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers and. One more thing, evangelists. Um, and just talking about like everybody plays a role and you play your role. And so it's a place where we can all work together. Um, and then there is an accountability factor, which I think is super important uh, from Second Timothy. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So that both tells you that it's your job to hold each other accountable, but also your job to do it in a way that is like, crazy loving the accountability factor is something that you're really good at that i'm really bad at oh yeah i hold it, you accountable for everything n no <laughs> i meant you in the you touch base with people aspect of it, where when somebody is missing or somebody hasn't been around you're way better at like contacting people and like hey we haven't seen you in a while and i'm just like well it's because you're blah, super blah. awkward about it and i'm less awkward about it 
Now I'm so awkward about it. It never happened. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm just amused by you guys right now. I've really missed you. I, I mean. Not being that I used to see you both multiple times a week, I'm just to... taking this all in right now. It's... You got to talk. Yeah, right. this is this, this is, is the sort of podcast where you literally have to talk over the other person to get in a word. But this is the fellowship, right? Let's let it bubble. Yeah, I'll cut you off and interrupt you as much as you want me to. So. Yes, he's like very like pleasantly smiling over in the corner right now. So the whole point of all of these things, like there, it, from these areas and tons of other places, especially um, in the New Testament and especially in the, the letters, as we weren't meant to do this alone. And the problem is that people kind of suck and culture is um, not. Culture that is not of Jesus will always start to manifest itself in church. Well, yeah, you have when you have a church like a group of people we all get together it's the problem with any large group of people any organization any business well, any group of people is you get together and you okay we're going to do this thing and then we need to build structures to do the thing and the structures are the council and the choir and the music director and the pastor and then it's really easy to forget that the structures aren't the point the the thing we're doing is the point mm -hmm. jesus is the point and you get kind of my whole Pretty much everything I talk about is going to be people getting wrapped up in the structures and thinking those are more important than the Jesus in the church. So before, would, oh, go ahead. I would respectfully argue that people don't get wrapped up in the structures. They get wrapped up in their own importance. Like it's not, they don't get wrapped up in the council. They get wrapped up in the fact that they are on the council and then therefore have authority. And that's just my opinion. Um, I would, I would love to hear an alternative one, but I think people love to be important and that's pastors. That's pastors, senior pastors, youth pastors, people that are serve on temporary, you know, boards, like a, a pastoral search committee. We just, we all like to be important. Mm -hmm. And so a church is yeah. a great place to exercise self-importance. Those really <laughs> dovetail into each other in the like, the Jesus, when you're doing Jesus, you're not important. But when you're doing council, you're important. You're on council. You're one of five, ten people or whatever who's running the church. I'm keeping the church alive and the church is doing Jesus. And really, no, you're supposed to be doing Jesus. The council is just a thing you on the side. And if and council gets in the way of Jesus, we're doing it wrong. And the only thing I would push back on is that as somebody who has come into church culture, um, and there is pre-existing systems in place. I have been things that I have no personal investment in at all have been created in my mind as like this has to exist, and it has taken years for me to like deconstruct that. Like, oh well, we don't actually have to have blah blah blah. We don't actually have to do this every week. We don't actually have to like some of those rules that I assumed were in place because they were like required that I have no personal investment in. I have to like unlearn that they are not Jesus, like the certain, gosh, I don't want to call out specific. Yeah. Well, and I don't think it's that people do. are, I don't think it's that people are bad. I think they just lose sight of what they're doing. I don't mostly think it's that people are bad. And I think bad. even a lot of the things they start with are, they come from a holy place. Yeah. I, right. I think being on council is important because I'm furthering the cause of Christ. And then that slips out. It's a really equitable position, Joel. It's really nice of you. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt in the hopes that people will give me the benefit of the doubt because I'm not a good person. <laughs> Before we get too far down the road of the reason church culture sucks um, or can suck in specific ways, um, 
I wanted to start by doing something that you think is uniquely good about church culture. Something you can only get from church culture. Um, So, Drew, why don't you start out? What is it about church, being a part of a church, that you can only get from being part of a church? My favorite thing is, this is going to sound so lame, but like my favorite thing is relationships with other guys (laughs) that are, that are, maybe not built upon vulnerability, but like are just, there's nothing to prove. And that's not the case with every guy that goes to church yeah. is vulnerable. But they're that's possible. Obviously not the, yeah, yeah, exactly. You just, I can, I can have conversations with other dudes from church that are struggling with, you know, parenting things and marriage things and just every, things that everybody goes through, but there's a competitive nature when, at least in all my other circles of life outside of my church relationships, there's a competitive nature and there's just a certain amount of like um, any type of vulnerability is just not masculine. Yeah. So like how we have defined masculinity outside of the church is I think for the most part different than inside the church. And you just can't have conversations with, you know, uh, coworkers or just, or, you know, we all, we all have kids that go to school. I mean, I hang out with a lot of people with the families that our kids go to school together and, mm-hmm. and it's just a different, um, dynamic because there's a there's like being that what your relationship is like you go to church together so you're supposed to bring your vulnerability to church you're supposed yeah. to bring yeah. your brokenness like, to I church think yeah. part of it is when you go to church people are like well it's okay for me to have a problem here because this is where you go to help people with problems yeah. and so but i think that i totally agree in i just read a study on it our culture specifically and generally has a real problem with male friendship and not even men being friends with men, but like the, the average man has like two friends. They like did a study and they're like, okay, name all your friends. And the average was like two, Hmm. which is not And they're like, okay, but how many good friends do you have? Like how many call at 3am with bail money? And it's none. And we need friends. And we, they used to like people, people used to just hang out all the time with their friends. And it, I don't know what it is about our culture that that's not acceptable. Just busy. I, I don't oh, think brother. that is, though, because it wasn't the same with women. <laughs> um, I think there's something specifically, it might be the, the like, oh, it's not masculine to need friends. But it's we not do. masculine to be vulnerable and French and intimacy is built on vulnerability. Yeah. What is your goody thing? What is oh, your what is my good thing? Yeah. There was a, a man at the church I grew up at who he was not a church person. He didn't grow up in the church. He didn't go to church. He ended up at our church and he had been to two, two church services in his entire life. And a prostitute started living in his house. I'm not at his house. He had a old trailer that he fixed up because he ran into this woman on the street somewhere, found out she was living on the street. She was a prostitute. So he said, well, come to my house. I have this trailer. Let me fix it up for you. And he fixed it up for her and he gave her a place to live. Just, I mean, it sounds weird when you're like, yeah, a prostitute living in his house. Just wondering so, if this is a romance novel plot. No, it was totally platonic. She was just a renter as far as he was concerned. And so his buddies were giving him a hard time. Like, hey, heard you got a lady of the night living at your house. What's that all about? They stumble. would say that. Yeah. He looked at them and said, I thought we were supposed to be changed. Mm. Pastor said that when we started following Jesus, we were supposed to be different. And that's what I like about churches. That change, that fire it, maybe you can find it in other places i know there are good people i've run, met good people who don't go to church 
but that the change of heart, the change of who you are is something I haven't seen anywhere else. It probably exists somewhere else, but I just, I don't see it outside of God. Well, I'm just thinking of what, what you're really describing is not, you said, oh, I know there's other good people, but it's not the fact that good people exist. It's the fact that somebody um, did the about face. And that's something that the church brings about the, like the repentance, the transformation yeah. um, well, that you don't see a lot in other areas. Jesus brings, brings it. it. Yeah, fair. Um, but the church. Yeah, because usually uh, it's AA or NA that actually right, brings it. When the church is at its best, it facilitates that. Yes. How about you? What is your favorite thing about church? My, I, I don't know that it was. Me. I, w- I wouldn't say that it's my favorite thing, but one of the things that I've really come to realize in the last even few weeks and months um, is that I have relationships with people in the church that um, are meaningful. And um, these are people that, but for the church, I would have never known them. Oh, not just good. not that's known them. Really I might have known them, but I've been like, those guys are weirdos. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Um, not those guys are weirdos because some of them are our listeners, but those guys aren't the type of people we would Well, it's like my, they weren't going to. Different life phases, different social yeah. areas, and I really jobs, do mean, different I th- interests. I thought about this, but um, this is very true of like intergenerational relationships. Like obviously there's lots of like, 50 year old women that I really love um, that I would not have known or had in my life. But I was even thinking just among people who are our same basic age and even in our same basic life phase that um, without the common goal, without the common um, cause, um, I don't think we would have grown close, but we grew close because of it. And I think that that is, that is, worth it and that is important and that is something that the church does well and fosters I, I well i'll change my answer to that because that's i yeah. that's so strong i i have so some of my best friendships today was that well right i mean i think well, yeah, the yes. answer the seems specific to be version. relationships that right you that, have you have the sort of relationship that you wouldn't have yeah, because but I, yeah but i but also like well so the difference between your answer and mine though kathleen was there's there's a certain sense of like personal humility admitting the fact that like I am probably either too closed minded or too shallow or too lazy too, or too lazy or whatever to, to ever, I would never go out of my way to meet or get to know this person. If we didn't like, if we weren't in a small group together and mm-hmm. then you end up oftentimes really like deeply loving people and mm-hmm. they become either they can be, become close friends or they just become or sort they, of friends that you just really learn a lot from and yes, appreciate and respect. You grow and because you would have of never them. done that if it wasn't okay. for church. So now you have cool. experienced what is, the most frustrating thing about being married to Kathleen is that I have been doing this my whole life. My father and my grandfather are both pastors and generations back before that, we were every Sunday members. She's been, what have you been doing this for two years? And she's already better at, it's been like a decade. she's better at my religion than I am. Yeah. Well, how did you think it was, what was it like to be on a church staff with her and in staff meetings when she was always right about everything? It was very frustrating. It was hard to shine. I was very when loud. Is across the I was very, very loud. I still am very, very loud. Yeah, but you are very, very good at it. But not everything's good. <laughs> Some things Ooh. are not so great. Oh, smooth, Joel. So, who wants to start with what is one of the? Oh, here's one of the things I wanted to to describe because we're really focusing on our kids because we have the ability to some extent, to sniff out what's not good about the church and maneuver around it. We can protect ourselves from it. We can um, just deal because we're adults. But here's the, here's the way I phrased it. I don't want my kids to buy into 
blank. Um, what do you not want your kids to buy into about oh, church man. culture? Right. I was hoping you guys would start first oh, so I can, I can know if I how dark and how serious oh. to go because mine are pretty intense, actually. I... Well, like I'm not sure if we... the thing I don't want my kids to buy into is the church will be dead when they're old enough to go to it. Um, no, I would say, unfortunately, the thing I don't want my kids to buy into the most, I know for a fact, has been around for two thousand years because it's literally in the Bible, actually more than two thousand years because it's in the Old Testament too. Is which would be how old, Joel? The Old Testament <laughs> depends on which bits. Good. That's a good answer. Good job. It was written at different go, times. Yeah. Well played. It correctness, theological correctness, and the absolute like absolute gatekeeping that not even no the choosing theological correctness over people. Yes, mm. choosing to be right over choosing to be kind, and everyone who knows me who is listening to this, and I'm getting looks in the room because um, everyone in the room knows, like you know the question, like, well, would you rather be happy or right? I never understood that question. Happy. Because if you're right, of course you're happy. <laughs> and so, like, that is so ingrained in who I am, but I see it and it is destructive. It is a, yeah, it's a disease that has been in the church since literally the beginning, since, since the garden. The literally the question the snake asked was, do you want to be happy or right? And humanity picked right. <laughs> and, the priests and the Pharisees picked right and righteous over people. And the whole New Testament, and Drew, don't correct me if I'm wrong because I don't want to be wrong about this. <laughs> the whole New Testament is Jesus saying, if the question is being correct within the rules or taking care of people, you pick people. I pick people. That is definitely in the New Testament. I don't I, know if that's the whole New Testament, but there's the, the whole I Sabbath think, moment was yeah, the was well, the and, the sinful woman, the woman at the well, right? The every time he entered. Well, you guys the, are both lawyers. You should. What's the term? The spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? Is that that's a thing, right? It's definitely in theology, and I'm pretty sure it is yeah. in, in lawyer speak. It's too. not really a legal term, no. But you we know what I mean, though, right? The like, of the law. <laughs> well, you kind of have to, but we don't need to as much, and it's it is weird. I, I, well, I would also call that like orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Or like yes, it's or more important, more important what that you subscribe to the right list of you know whatever your version of like the atonement is or whether or not you believe that Genesis is literal or, or figure of whatever it is like at the right time yeah do you have communion the right number of days per year we often like to stress whether or not we're believing the right things over how we are letting those beliefs affect our relationship with yeah. other people and the difference that we make in the world. It's... And I, I think Christ was pretty dang clear about his point of view. I mean, he, the, the woman at the well is, I think it's my favorite Bible story because it's so powerful is it wasn't just an unmarried man talking to an unmarried woman in public, which was unacceptable at that time, but she was a Samaritan, yeah. which was, you don't choose didn't talk to Samaritans. They actually had, if you accidentally touched a Samaritan, you had to go to church and wash your hands. Uh, they literally had a fountain to wash your hands in after you touched a Samaritan. And she was an adulterous woman who was a Samaritan. And he was, was well aware of it. And in public, and he knew it. And he talked to her, and his disciples were like, why are you talking to her? He's like, because I want water. She's going to give me water. She's got the cup. I need the cup. I'm. She needs to be taken care of. Go forward. And then he literally said, this is my commandment. This is 
thus saith the Lord your God, this is my commandment, love one another. That's actually my favorite part of it. Maybe the whole Bible, at least the New Testament. And I think the most fascinating is when Jesus is doing, giving teachings, a series of teachings in Matthew, and he, he speaks to like Old Testament laws, which is funny because we see the whole Bible is like God's word and supposed to be followed and obeyed equally. But Jesus refers to old, like we call, we call them Levitical laws, like mo- mm-hmm. Mosaic laws. When he'll say, you you know, the, probably the most famous one is, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. And that's when he <clears throat> talks about turning the other cheek. And like he's taking laws that his listeners have knew. The frame of knew, reference. Yeah, mm-hmm. and is basically saying this thing that is in your sacred book that comes from you know, like, you know, one of the fathers of our faith, this incredibly important rule that we've been following for generation after generation, that's not right. That's, <laughs> Do it this way instead. That's not what important the people, the person, Which this is, woman in front of you is important. We call that a theological banger. I mean, that's crazy when all of a sudden... I don't call it that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Drew. What is, what is yours? Oh, man. Okay, so... So I've been I have been thinking about this since you, what was it three days ago? So yes. I think about this, and it's been really hard to narrow it down. <laughs> Which is so. Let me just give a little bit of backstory. I've been working at a church full time, whether it's senior pastor, youth associate, like since two thousand and one. Um, you are so, old. I know. <laughs> uh, and I was in high school in two thousand one. Well, I was in college. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I've been. I went to a Christian high school. Um, and then in high school, I went to youth group on Wednesday nights, and then I went to sun- church. And my parents didn't make me. This was just the way I was. Like I, it was all so new and so fascinating to me that I couldn't get enough of it. So I was going to like an all church gnarly Bible study Sunday nights, church on Sunday mornings, youth group on Wednesdays. I went to a Christian high school, so we had chapel during the week. Then I went to a Christian college, and then I went to a seminary. <laughs> I mean, I, I have been so deeply engulfed in Christian culture for over 20 years. You've had 20 years to be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that's, it's, that's what's so complicated though, is my convictions. I mean, if you're not changing your perspectives on things throughout, you know, five years of being a Christian, you're just not thinking about your faith that much. I think, I mean, if you haven't run into things that you start to have tension with and then want to rethink things, like I, I think you're probably just not trying very hard. And so that's the, being so deeply entrenched in Christian culture for so long, I have seen, I mean, I've, I've been at hardcore, like fundamentalist, hyper conservative evangelical churches. I've been at, you know, progressive mainline churches. Um, and, and what I've seen, one thing that's kind of consistent across all those churches is the sort of the, the idea of an, uh, like indoctrination in terms of youth and kids. And, it, and and I think oftentimes, most of the time, actually, to be fair, it's not intentional. I don't think there's, <laughs> sorry, Kathleen, I don't think there's youth pastors or youth or children's pastors that are like, my job is to like brainwash this child right. to believe. You're just, we're all just doing our best to teach what we think is truth, mm-hmm. of course. But um, the truth varies from church to church. Yeah. And so it's easy. I mean, like, Obviously, if my kids are going to my church and it's a children's director that I hired, you know, it's that's different. But if we, if we were, and we have been, I mean, we had a year in between leaving Good Shepherd and starting a new church, and we were visiting a different church sometimes two a Sunday just for fun because it had been years mm-hmm. since I'd gotten to go to another church. Yeah, 
And Too I remember leaving this particular church one Sunday and, um, and, uh, my daughter, my eight year old daughter came out of the children's ministry and she said something. Cause we always ask her like, what did you guys talk about? Mm-hmm. what did you learn? And she told me what they talked Thank about. You for and that, I was by the like, way. you have got to be kidding me. So then I had to feel like I had to like kind well, of run some. What was it? No. It, it was, We're not gonna, it was I don't this particular church's view of sin. Oh, okay. Um, and that's, if I was just a church going person, like most people are not a pastor, that would absolutely terrify me to constantly wonder what my kids are being taught. And it's not just like, that's, you can not, always ask. that's not theologically correct. I don't mean that. I mean, like, are, are they being, um, I mean, I don't know how specific you guys want to be because I don't want to alienate anybody or hurt anybody's feelings, but there are particular things. You can things. always edit you later. That's yeah. a good point. No, well, I know what you mean in that it it's hard with kids when you're trying to teach them the correct thing, but the correct thing is pretty nuanced and oh, subtle. absolutely. The correct and frankly, thing is... we don't know the correct, like a lot of it is kids will ask a question and the answer is maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me put let me put it but this way. Wanna... So, um, let's say we uh, we're visiting a church, and they decide that that particular Sunday they're wanting to talk. So I'll give you two examples. There's a very different. They're talking about Genesis, and <laughs> the children's director or whatever is talking about you know Genesis one, and uh, I realize that over the course of several Sundays that my kids are being taught a literal historical reading of Genesis one mm-hmm. and they start to uh, process that part of the Bible is like, that's actually how things happened. And mm-hmm. obviously that's not like a, to me, that's not like a huge deal. I'm like, that's fine. But then, but then I'm also like, that's something I'm going to, we're going to have to discuss later. Like yeah. when you're, when you hit your first biology class in sixth grade and you probably will, or you might have a teacher that's going to teach you something different. And or then, your five-year-old asks you, but mom, was there a real snake? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So that's funny because my younger daughter mm-hmm. questions everything. Mm-hmm. My older daughter's like, cool, Kathleen, Miss, when we, when we went to the same church, yeah. Miss Kathleen said this, I'm on board. Our younger daughter, who's only five, is just like, I don't know, I'm not buying it. Like everything. And it's, and it's, and then she asked mm, these really deep questions. And I'm like, I don't know how to like, and I think there's so much theological nuance. Okay. So this is, let me actually, I just realized I can put a bow on this really easily. There's so much theological nuance to so many things in the Bible, particularly the old Testament, that it's really impossible to explain them to kids. The flood, for example, you know, so, I mean, like, how do you explain that story? I love all the pretty art pictures, but I hate the flood. I think a lot of people have, trouble accepting that they might be wrong or at least trouble communicating that hey doing our best here but yeah i'm interpreting it from an english translation of a hebrew translation of a greek translation yeah. of a, right yeah. we're doing our best this is what we think this yeah. is what we believe you should start there but work your way i mean you know read one the book of the, yeah. one of the things that we do in kids ministry whenever we process a bible story we always end it with the exact same question and the question we ask at the end of every bible story is what does the story teach us about the character of god and that is not a, a avoidance of those issues but the, the the lens that we're looking through all the bible stories is how it reveals god mm, and right. not um, whether it's literally true or the, whether it's historically true, because 
to me, the Bible is true in what it reveals about God and his nature. Um, it honestly doesn't matter what people's individual convictions are about these stories themselves if they understand that truth. That's beautiful, yeah. Adam, I just need to jump back in here. Both of my kids, if they are... What frustrates me is when we're going to a church and for whatever reason, maybe it's because, and you could be the first person to say this, Kathleen, you, you have to teach 50, however, you know, I don't know how many weeks a year you have to get get a kid's lesson. So I understand you have to like, you know, you have to have material every Sunday, but it's really frustrating to have to try to sift through like theological nuances with an eight-year-old because for whatever reason, the children's director decided to talk about how important it was that. God flooded the world and killed everybody. And it was really funny that you said you loved the pictures of the ark, but but not the story. And it is funny. You've got the, the all the... the and two tigers walking and, it, the and it's all cute. You're like, look at the, how happy the lions are. They're so happy that like everybody in the world just died. And it's so... And I that kind of stuff, I'm like, listen, these are little kids. Just talk to them about God's love and mercy and grace every weekend. They're f- six years old or whatever. Stop talking about... That's good. That's good. I don't. I don't need you. Yes, thank you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are angrily yelling at their phones right now because they're like, "You have to teach your kids the gospel," but it's like, no, you don't have to teach a six-year-old this, the like the story of Cain and Abel or a hundred other things. So my thing that I don't like, I'm having a hard time picking one, but I have to stick with... Um, pick one. I don't want my kids to pick up on sexism um, in leadership in the church. Booyah. Well, and, um, were you high-fiving sexism in leadership? No. <laughs> one of the things that Welcome actually... Welcome to society. This is, this is a very personal one um, because I am a kids... I'm female kids ministry director. And, um, well, you're a woman, you're only allowed to teach kids. So, yeah. And here's the thing that is so my actual call, but I kind of hate it in the sense that, um, I don't know if saying that my role is sort of like weirdly fetishized, like, isn't she adorable the way she bounces up there and does, um, I'll say it. You are adorable. I know. But the problem is like, I take the discipleship of the kids really seriously and I like kill myself to like seek the will of God and to teach them what they need to learn and to advance them to a point where they're ready for some pretty hard stuff. Once they hit, once they hit the middle school age, I think that my ministry is really important. Um, but that's not the way the church sees it. They put women in that role because they don't think it's important. And, um, part of me wants to pastor adults. And I know this is the worst reason and not a call. Um, but particularly I want to pastor adult men just to show people that I can do it and that I have enough, um, leadership strength and that I have the ability to teach and that I have the ability to inspire, um, really adult men, um, into a life in Christ. And I will never do that because it is not my call and it is not my call because I want to do it to prove that I can do it, um, which is terrible. But I hate being part of a world where my kids, if my kids will grow up thinking my mom did the cute thing at church um, and all of the men did the real stuff. And I, and I, especially since you have two boys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then what do you recommend? How do we, 
talk to our kids about these problems, not necessarily specifically, but whatever issue people are having, whatever, you know, they show up to church and they go, man, that really, I'm uncomfortable with that or that bothers me. How do we talk to our kids about that? Um, what I would even have put your question differently of how do we deal with that? And I sorry, I didn't mean to ask the question incorrectly. You did ask the question incorrectly. My question would You're be how so do you do that? Correcting men. Because right? I would be rocking at it. <laughs> so, so much practice. Ta- the what you would do is in some circumstances you would talk to your kids or kind of deal with it in house. In some circumstances you might attempt to bring change within your church community or um the third thing is you might leave a church over it. And um, I can tell you right now that if I had a church that specifically did not let women into leadership and did not let women be pastors, and that was a thing and that was a rule, that is not a church I would attend, um, which I realize is a very polarizing view to express on a it podcast. Is, and we can certainly have, we're not going to get into the theology of whether that's theologically correct it, or yes, not, but it's, it's it just is a, a church that choice. I would not attend. Yeah. Me neither. So if it's not the sort of problem that you can solve by having a conversation with your kid or carefully paying attention to what your kids are being taught, and a lot of it isn't things they're being taught in kids' ministry, but things they're picking up from the church culture in general, um, you basically are left with two options, attempt to bring change in the church or leave the church. Both of these can be done in a way that destroys good churches. Um, So as a church worker and as somebody who takes ministry really seriously, just Pray and think and use all your mature muscles to get this done. Just because don't make it about you. Yes, it's not about that you. is the answer. Yes. It's not about what you want or what you like or how you want the church to work. It's just not about you. It's not about you. All right. So now we're going to get to our next segment. So that came up. So uh, I think I already mentioned I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. My eight-year-old um, is my little best buddy. She looks like she's 12. She acts like she's 15. And her best she friend, always has. <laughs> she really has her, her best friend at school has a sister that's in high school. So they're both eight. June's the oldest, her friend, who's a sweet kid. We love the parents, love the kid. They're, they probably won't hear this, so it doesn't matter. But, I, but regardless, we <laughs> I mean, do. They will because we, you're going to share this we, podcast with true. everyone you know. We do. We actually really do like authentically like them. And the, and the kid's great. But older big sister, this is this natural, but the, I'm tucking. June into bed the other night because we we read to the girls and tuck them in every night, mm-hmm. and and she goes and this is she's pretty sheltered like I've never like we don't swear around our kids I mean and I I have neither a, do we I I have a bit no, of a potty we mouth we don't <laughs> we I I have a little bit of a potty mouth but it's I've never cursed around the kids we're just good good at doing it in the right context and and so um you know they're for the most part they. Uh, for an eight-year-old, she's unaware of any mature themes at this point in time. But she came home from school the other day, and and um, you know, was said she had something she wanted to talk to me about. And I'm tucking her into bed. I just finished reading to her, and I was just you know talking to her before I, I left the room. And she said, "Hey, Dad, um, do you know what the middle finger means?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, June, I do." And she goes, "What does it mean?" I said, "Well, you tell me." And she goes, good move, dad. Yeah. And she goes, and she like looks around her bedroom and she goes, it means F you. She, she said the word though, but this is a family friendly podcast. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then I said, do you know what that means? And she goes, no. <laughs> so she, she understands that pointing. Cause she goes, it's when you point your middle finger at someone, it means F you. And I tried to have her explain 
what fu means, but she didn't know. So then I was like, okay, well, you already know what the word is. So I had to like for 20 minutes explain to her why you would ever do that to someone. And I was pretty honest with her. I was like, this well, is... Well, I actually think that's a good in for that yeah. conversation. For maybe I wouldn't want to start with that word. It was but it... pretty fun. I was like, this is how like sometimes, you know, and we talked about emotions and not having words to like articulate our emotions and how sometimes like when anger wells up, you just, you know, sometimes we just act kind of, you know, and I said, and I tried to, I was like, it's, you know, it is what it is. And then I told her a story about when I was in fifth grade, I, I uh, pointed as June would say, my middle finger at somebody across the lunchroom. And I got, I got expelled for like two days for it. It was Mm -hmm. on my birthday too. (laughs) She was like, so in a weird way, proud of me (laughs) that, that, that daddy was a little rebellious because she just thinks of mom and I is just the biggest squares, you know? Mm. And, um, but it was so funny because she was so like excited to tell me Mm -hmm. that she learned something that was bad, Yeah. but she didn't know what it meant. And then I, so just last weekend she had to sleep over at the same friend's house Mm -hmm. and she goes, (laughs) she goes, dad, so-and-so, um, kind of uses a lot of bad words. And I was like, well, what bad words did you hear? And she goes, she said the C word. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, C R A P. Oh dear, yeah. And I said, "What word was that, June?" She goes, "Crap." And I, and I was like, "Oh, thank, thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank You're you." Right. That is a yeah. bad word. <laughs> but it, I just realized that okay, this is the phase of life and parenting right now that yep. she's going to start learning Eight about themes thing. that I don't want her to learn about, and I'm freaking out about it. But just taking it one day at a time. You're well equipped yeah. for that. But well, in case you didn't know, the middle finger means F you. Yeah, now I do. Yeah, that's. I mean, you handled it correctly. We'll see when you come back next time and tell us whether your kid got expelled. When she's when she's 15, yeah. Drew? Drew? Let you want to pray. pray us out? God, thank you so much for our kids. Thank you for sharing them with us. Um, thank you for letting us be a part of their lives. And what we want to ask you for is all of the wisdom and the strength that we need to be the best parents we can possibly be, to be patient and gracious with our kids, to be abundantly merciful like you are with us, um, Lord, so that we can set the first and best example um, for them uh, of what you are like, um, because that is what you have called us to, and that's what you've asked us to do. So um, help us do it, Lord, in your holy name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening. Please take a second to rate and subscribe to this podcast. It helps others to find us and to be hashtag blessed by the discussions that we have here. If you want to contact us, you can reach us on Instagram at Christ in the Chaos, or you can email us at Christ in the Chaos pod at email.com. Until next week, we hope you have a peaceful week. But even if you don't, remember that you can find us and Jesus waiting for you in the chaos.